Um, let's pray before we jump into our message. Um, just pray that God would speak to us. Um, I also want to just pray and ask all of you to be praying that we need to be um, just lifting up the situation in Israel um, to the Lord and just asking him to bring peace and to de-escalate what's happening there. Um, it's very easy to just see headlines and then to form opinions based on that. Um, it's, it's hard for me because it goes beyond the headlines because I have friends there now after having gone for so long. And um, there's an app that uh, I have on my phone called the Red Alert app. And when a rocket is shot into Israel, it goes off. And in the towns, the sirens will go off. And it's a matter of how many seconds they have to get into a bomb shelter. And um, I have two friends that live uh, within 45 minutes of, of Gaza. And uh, for them, it's 40 seconds to get to the bomb shelter. Um, and so just talking about them, the one is a mother and just kind of the terror that she's experiencing. And um, when you put faces on it, it's a horrible situation, but when you add faces to it, it's even worse. And so we just want to pray for all the families, all, everyone involved. Um, it's hard for us to understand what's happening in a culture, not our own. And so all we can do is just pray for uh, that God to work and that the, a de-escalation would happen and that um, he would work. And so let's be praying for that and for what he's going to do with us this morning. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for um, the fact that you are in control. We thank you that just as we sing, God, that you are God alone, and we praise you for the God that you are. I pray that you would, that even what, as we talk about that this morning, that you would show us the amazing God that you are, the awesome God that you are. Um, God, we do pray for what's happening uh, abroad in our world, seeing videos from Mark and Josie's experiencing experiences, knowing what's happening in the Middle East. Um, God, you are God everywhere, and you are in control, and you are all-knowing, and you are powerful and loving and merciful and gracious everywhere. And so we pray that you would work. Uh, be with our church this morning. Draw us to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week we started this new series talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, this is a part of scripture even the most non-religious person has heard of, but at the same time, even those who would consider themselves religious might not always understand their significance. And so we set the foundation last week. God makes a people to join him in his plans and purposes. He is a God of relationship, a God of covenant. And the Ten Commandments are rooted in that relationship, in the covenant that God made with ancient Israel, but they also reflect his character at all times. And so everything we say about the Ten Commandments has to come back to that idea, relationship, relationship with God. It's a relationship that defines how we live. It creates a way of life, an identity based on everything that we do. To be the people of God means that we be the people of God. And so as we go through them, as we consider their depth and their significance, they teach us about God's character and his desires for his people. Yes, we only have a relationship with God because of Jesus, but the implications of the ten guide us on how to be the people of God like Jesus. And so within that, they show us God's character. They show us Jesus's character and how we can be holy as he is holy. And so to get us started on the first one, last week was kind of the introduction to this whole idea. We're getting into the first one. Uh, this week, I want to begin by showing you this really short video.
Loyalty to any one sports team is pretty hard to justify. Because the players are always changing, the team can move to another city. You're actually rooting for the clothes when you get right down to it. You know what I mean? You are standing and cheering and yelling for your clothes to beat the clothes from another city. Fans will be so in love with a player, but if he goes to another team, they boo him. This is the same human being in a different shirt. They hate him now. Boo! Different shirt! Now, what Seinfeld is saying there is funny because in many ways it's true. You have your team and you stick with them. I wore bears today. I did not wear the team that shall not be named, but Greg is in the back and he knows what I'm talking about. Now, this is a funny bit that he's talking about, but the joke became reality during the filming of the movie Gone Girl. The director of the movie, David Fincher, asked the actor Ben Affleck to wear a Yankees hat for a scene in which his character was attempting to go incognito in the airport. A Rolling Stone article talking about this scenario explained that the scene in question took place in New York. So it wasn't though, as though Fincher was trolling Affleck's endless love for the Red Sox, but the actor could not bring himself to don the cap of the hated Bronx bombers. And so Affleck is quoted as saying, I said to David, David, I love you. I would do anything for you, but I will not wear a Yankees hat. I just can't. I can't wear it because it's going to become a thing, David. I will never hear the end of it. I can't do it. I just couldn't put the hat on my head. The director, David Fincher, in the commentary for the movie, he says, and if you ever watch the clip, it's really funny hearing him talk about it. I really wanted it to be a Yankees cap. And then he has this exasperated, but being from Boston and not being very professional as an actor, Ben refused to wear a Yankees cap. I mean, it did not come to blows, but we had to shut down production for four days because he refused to wear a Yankees cap. He, Affleck, held up production of the entire movie for four days because as a Boston Red Sox fan, he refused to be caught dead in a Yankees hat. They compromised and he wore a Mets hat. That, ladies and gentlemen, is called loyalty. Loyalty. Now, it might seem weird to you if you're not a Red Sox fan, but here's the thing. Loyalty is not about what people outside of the relationship think about the relationship. Loyalty is about who is is about you and who you are connected with. And so when we hear this, we think about I just can't do it. I can't wear that. When we think about that here, that kind of loyalty coming through, it gets to the heart of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have. It's not ownership. It's an identifying phrase. It communicates the idea of a covenant or even like entering a marriage. This is vow language. This is committed to one another language. You shall have no commitment. You shall have no vow to another God before me. The idea of that phrase taken literally is to my face. It gets to the idea of in opposition to or in defiance of me. 
So take it all together. You, you will offer your worship to no one but me. You will give the allegiance of your heart to no one but me. Think about couples that do get married. Think about they're celebrating that marriage and you come into the ceremony and you see a cake topper that looks like this. You would say, there's a problem here. Why are there two people that you're being committed to? That's not how it works. What God is saying is, I will not share you with anyone. When we enter into a commitment with one another, when we enter into a relationship with one another, it's you and I. It's not you, I, and someone else. It's not you, I, and this other idea. You're going to be loyal to me as I'm loyal to you. The first command, thou shalt have no other gods before me, is all about loyalty. Why do we show our loyalty to God? Well, God is worthy of our loyalty because of who he is. He is worthy of our loyalty because of who he is. Remember, God is creating a people and he is teaching them how to be in relationship with him. To understand that process, we have to understand Israel's experience in their culture. Again, it's very hard sometimes when we're so embedded and ingrained in thinking about 2021 Midwest or wherever you're from culture, which is unlike any other culture. If we're understanding another time and place, we have to get into that time and place to understand what's being communicated. That's basic Bible study type stuff. And so we have to understand what's going on in Exodus. The Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, which was a polytheistic society. They believed in many different deities, many different gods. And this reality defined that culture and that's the culture that the Israelites were embedded within. The deities of Egypt were deities that were created. They came into existence in some way. Another god created them. They arose from nature. However it happened, the thought was that gods were made. They weren't always. They had a starting place. The other thing about the way that this culture thought about their gods was that the the deities were experienced through their presence in nature. It's not a ball of gas in the sky giving heat. That's a specific deity giving light and heat as who he is. The Nile wasn't just a body of water. It was a deity named Hopi who was literally in their midst. And so nature and the gods were one and the same. Again, this is kind of maybe weird to us to think about, but this was normal life for them. And it's why Genesis 1-1 is so powerful and countercultural. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This one sentence would shatter their entire worldview. This one sentence would be the equivalent of me telling you that grass is blue and the sky is green. You would look at me and go, that's crazy. That's not how it is. No, no, what are you talking about? But that's the extreme change, flipping the mindset that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth would have had on this world. God was never himself created. He has always been. 
God is not something in creation. He created everything that we see. All around us is not a bunch of little gods. Everything we see is what the one God has made. He and he alone is God. The prophet Isaiah will later say to the people, this is what the Lord God says, your redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by himself. He'll say in another spot, listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid bare the foundations of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. This is the God that is making a relationship with them. Not only is he creator, but all of scripture tells more about him. Quoting from an article on Bible study tools, the website there, it says, they list out God's attributes from scripture like this. He is infinite. He never changes. He is self-sufficient. God is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere, full of perfect wisdom, faithful and good. God is just, meaning he is infinitely, unchangeably right and perfect in all that he does. He is merciful, which means he is infinitely, unchangeably compassionate and kind. He is gracious, meaning he is infinitely inclined to spare the guilty. God is loving, holy, glorious. He alone is God. In a polytheistic society, that's not just an old concept. This, this, that, the idea of many options and other ideas is not something that only ancient Israel had to deal with. And because of that, this principle behind the first commandment is as needed for us today as it was for them. God alone is God. God wants the loyalty of your heart because of who he is. We cannot see him as any less than the reality of what he has revealed about himself. He alone is God. This is God. This is the God who pursues a relationship with us. And that's even countercultural. There was no desire, there was nothing about the gods that Egypt knew compared to Yahweh, there was nothing about them that wanted relationship. That's not how they saw humanity. The fact that God is pursuing relationship and how they thought, which gets to the second thing. Not only is God worthy of our loyalty because of who he is, but God is worthy of our loyalty because of all he's done. Because of all he's done. Not just who he is, but how he acts, what he's done. Another thing about this culture and how they thought about the world is that the Egyptians believed that their deities had needs, that their gods had needs that needed to be fulfilled. Scholar John Walton says, the gods had needs of food, housing, and clothing. They created people to meet those needs. They created people to take care of themselves to take care of them. The people were expected to pamper the gods, who in turn would provide for the people and protect them so that they could continue to meet the gods' needs. And so the gods, in Egypt's perspective, didn't see people to be in relationship with. The gods in Egypt saw tools, machines. 
things to get things done for them. And anything that, anything that they would do toward people wasn't out of care, compassion, or love. It would be like going in and tweaking your car. I need to make sure that this is running right so it'll keep doing what I need to be done. That's how their gods thought about people. You're nothing different than a car. You, just, you do the things that I need you to do and I'm gonna take care of you so you'll keep doing the things that you'll do. Provision and protection then came from kissing up to the gods. There was nothing about love or compassion going on. Like I said, the gods used humanity as their slaves in essence to appease their needs. And so you did what you could to honor the gods to keep them happy. This cultural understanding makes the story of the 10 plagues in Egypt really interesting then. Moses told Pharaoh earlier in Egypt to let God's people go, but Pharaoh refused. God then sent 10 different plagues into Egypt um, so that, what he says in Exodus 8, it will be easy, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the, God, the Lord our God. We have to see the plagues in light of this verse. There was 10 different plagues, water turning to blood, frogs, lice, flies, livestock, pestilence, boils, hail, locust, darkness, and the death of firstborn children. We have to read this in light of the ancient perspective as they would have taken these stories and the way that they would have taken them is that this was a showdown of the gods. When the water turned to blood, Hoppy should have stopped that. When the frog showed up, their god Kunman was nowhere to be found. When the sun went dark, Amon Re did nothing. When the f children started dying, Pharaoh, who was a god in their eyes, was a failure and didn't help. None of their gods did what they were supposed to do. None of their gods provided or protected them from what was happening. Their gods were showing themselves to be non-existent. And so God says to his people, when he's giving them the Ten Commandments, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Well, what did he do in Egypt? He not only rescued them from Egypt, but he also showed that those gods were frauds, that all the other things that they thought were options were counterfeit, weren't real. He showed them that those gods did nothing and couldn't do nothing. He showed that only he is God. He established the covenant relationship with that very foundation. God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He is the one who has provided and protected them. But here's the kicker. God didn't do all of this because the people fulfilled his needs. God didn't do any of this because he owed it to the people. He makes it abundantly clear in Scripture. 
He says in Psalm 50, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. In Job it says, who, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me, God said. Paul in the New Testament describes him like this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor does he serve by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't, didn't do what he did because he needed anything, God didn't do what he did because he owed them anything. God did what he did because this is who God is. This is how this God acts. He is the God who pursues, restores, rescues, provides, and protects. Author Matthew Bartlett says, While God does not need us and in no way is obligated to enter into a relationship with us, he created us in his image and made us to have fellowship with him. We matter because God determined that we would be meaningful. God has done all of this. And so based on what God has done, what does that mean for our loyalty toward him? You and I cannot act toward God the same way that the Egyptians acted toward their false gods. We cannot think that we need to appease him. We cannot think that we have to keep God happy. And I think that sometimes if we were honest, that is how we operate. We do not have to do anything to keep God happy because he is self-sufficient apart from us. He already is perfect. We can't do anything to appease the wrath that his holiness brings because of sin because Jesus did that on the cross. We are loyal because he does love us, not because we're trying to get him to love us. We are loyal because he does provide for us, not because we're trying to persuade him to act. And so you have to think about your thoughts toward God. Do you treat prayer like a magic spell to get what you need? If I just pray hard enough and I just pray intensely enough, this will make God feel a certain way about me and then he'll give me what I'm asking for. That's not how it works. We're not trying to persuade God. We're not giving God something that he, he needs. We're not trying to con him into doing something for us. He provides because he is a providing God and he acts based on his perfect wisdom. So we need to pray in that way do you feel that when hard times happen it's because god is mad at you that isn't true just because you're we're going through a difficult time doesn't mean god is smiting you that's how they would have thought i'm going through difficult times the gods must be angry Jesus died on the cross so that our sin could be paid for and the wrath of God appeased. God does not look at you with wrath. God looks at you with the reality of Jesus' death on the cross. You do not have to appease him. He has already been appeased. 
He looks at, you do not have to look at him with shame because he looks at you as one forgiven. And so why do you do what you do? We do not have to come to God afraid. You do not have to come to God afraid of who he is. Do you do what you do to get him to love you rather than resting in his perfect love? And I think this is, we have to be honest about our own experiences. Some of you might not have had a great experience at home growing up. Maybe you didn't experience a kind of unconditional love from your parents or from your families. And maybe even within the family that tried the hardest and did love you immensely, they made mistakes. And rather we, it's just kind of the weight of parenting sometimes. We realize that we influence our children. And we shouldn't, parents, please don't beat yourself up on that one. It's just the reality of it. But we have to think through what that means as far as how we see God. God loves you perfectly. God loves you perfectly. For those of you who had a rough upbringing, God loves you perfectly. For those of you who had a great upbringing, God loves you even more. God loves you and you can go to him. You don't have to hesitate. You don't have to be afraid. We go before him. He is the God who is worthy of our love because of all he's done. He has sent his son to the cross on our behalf. He protects, he provides for us. He has given us his word. He is present with us always. He is showing himself and acting as he is toward us at all times. Rest within those realities. Do not come to him feeling shame, feeling guilt, feeling that you have to impress, feeling that you have to convince. Come to him for who he is. He is worthy, worthy of our loyalty because of all that he's done. And then last thing, God is worthy of our loyalty and this guides our life with him. And so he alone is God and he is the type of God that we've talked about. He has done all of this for us and even in our place. And that has to guide our lives. Really, the first commandment Thou shalt have no other gods before me is setting up the next nine. They, they, the next nine commandments are going to show us what this looks like as far as being loyal to God and what that loyalty looks like as we interact with other people. It's not about living such a way to get the relationship. This is just what the relationship looks like. And so the people of the nation were told, in Deuteronomy it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God is one. God alone is our God. No one else gets our hearts, our allegiance, or our loyalty. And what is this passage saying is that this should be a saturating reality for us. Uh, this home, that I put in the passage scripture on my house to say this home is loyal to God. Putting it on myself, this 
person is loyal to God. Talking about it with my children, this idea about God is going to continue in who we are. We follow God, we are loyal to him. The same idea that happens, gets brought up in an interaction that Jesus had. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, all these experts on the law. One of them, an expert in the law, there you go, tested him with the question, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, if you look at the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, that has a negative connotation to it. Don't have other gods. Well, what's the positive of that? What's the do there? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be loyal to him, not out of obligation or convincing him, but out of love because of how he's loved us. Jesus is the one who makes our relationship with God possible and our loyalty to him must be the same. Let how we go about our lives, how we interact with others, show a loyalty to God and the relationship that we have with him. So go back to the Red Sox hat. I mean, Affleck, I just can't do it. Because of who I am, because of my loyalty to this team, I just can't do it. But yeah, but this is stupid, but I, I just can't do it. Regardless of what you think, this is who I am. And I just can't do that. Because of my loyalty to the team, I can't do these things. I will do these things. It wasn't about earning or gaining anything. It was about the relationship to the team. So in the, in the moment that I find myself in, what does my loyalty to Jesus look like? Not to earn, not to gain, not to persuade him, but because he's my Lord. And this is who I am. He is my Lord. I just can't do that. He's my Lord. I, I, can't, I need to do this. Because of who I am, because I have the Jesus hat on, this is what my life looks like. To have loyalty to God is to align who I am with who he is. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, we hear this verse, and it applies really to all of us, but we need to take it further. Take money out and just add a blank there. You cannot love God and what pulls for your allegiance. I can't, the devotion of your heart, it can't be a job, it can't be a future ambition, it can't be a title, it can't be a political party, it can't be a cause, it can't be anything else other than God. He has to be are the master, the Lord of our life. Our loyalty must be to him and him alone. And that loyalty will be seen in how we live. Where do we need to change and adjust our life based on who he is and who I am with him? 
The Bible talks about having the fear of the Lord. Again, remember, we don't have to be afraid of God. But the fear of the Lord speaks to this loyalty idea. This is how I explain, and I'm going to end with this. This is how we explain the fear of the Lord. Some of you, I know I've told this story a long time before, so if you heard it, it still works. What is the fear of the Lord? Imagine that it's an even better day than today. Imagine it's July, 85, 90 degrees out, totally sunny day, no clouds, nothing. You're driving down 80 by yourself, no traffic, straight shot, windows down, music is on, your right hand's at 12 o'clock, left hand's out the door doing this. Who would love to have that drive right now? Like that just sounds enjoyable. You're already picking songs, getting your playlist together like that. So you're just cruising. You're in the middle of hitting, getting ready to hit the big chorus and whatever the song is. You look in your rearview mirror and you see red and blue lights. Some of you have had that experience. I can tell by the way your face has just reacted. There's a lot of things that happen in, like simultaneously. You... Uh, Suck in all the air out of the car and it gets tense in your stomach, which is difficult because the window's down. You, but you roll up the window, you turn off the radio, you put your hands at 10 and 2 and you start praying like you haven't prayed in a long time. Oh dear God, no. Oh dear God, no. Who said that experience? Okay, yeah, moment of confession. So you're praying, you're praying, your stomach muscles are tight and then the cop goes flying by you. You exhale, muscles are fine, okay, roll down the window, turn the music back on. Yeah, I was doing fine, I wasn't doing nothing. And you keep going down the road. But what was that moment of, in that moment, you experienced the fear of the Lord. But what does that mean? You adjusted who you are to somebody else. You know somebody else had expectations of you, and you know that you needed to follow those expectations in light of who they were. And so you adjusted what you were doing based on that, knowing that there's consequences if we don't. But the reality being is, this is how I should be, and this is what I'm going to do. Does that make sense? To have a loyalty to God is to live within a fear of the Lord, not afraid of him because I can run to him freely. But honoring and loyal to him, I'm going to make sure that everything about what I'm doing in life lines up with his expectations for me. And because of that, there's going to be some moments where we say, I just can't do it. I can't wear that hat. And there's going to be other moments where we say, I got to do this. I have to be like this because I love my Jesus. We shall have no other gods before me. So who has the loyalty of your heart? In Romans it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We, in order to have a relationship with God, we have to believe in what Jesus has done in our place on the cross. You have to trust him to be Lord of your life. I'm trusting in who he is and what he's done, I'm aligning myself with him. And have you done that? Is Jesus just an interesting person in history to you? Is he just a great guy, teaches some moralistic kind of good things? Or does he guide who you are? Is he who your identity is? Can you call, do you call him Lord? If Jesus isn't Lord of your life, then you don't have a relationship with Jesus because that's what a relationship with Jesus is. He is Lord 
of my life. In Ephesians, it says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We don't get this because we're better or we've done good things or we're better than somebody else. We get that relationship with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross in our place, his resurrection from the dead, conquering sin and making life possible for us. And so you need to trust in Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. It is a daily call to loyalty, a daily call to I am a person of God. I follow Jesus and I want him to be known. Maybe some of us need to confess some things before him and ask forgiveness. God, I'm sorry for the moments I've been unloyal. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to put us back where we need to be. So start being loyal. Maybe you need to get help with that. Maybe you need to talk with somebody. But God wants the loyalty of our hearts in all things. And if you've never trusted him, let today be the day that you find life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the, that you are God alone. That as we sing earlier, God, that you are worthy that you have been here from before time began, that you were on your throne, that whether it's good or bad, you are always with us. We praise you for that, God. God, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts in light of who you are. Let us see the places that we're not loyal to you. Help us to be honest about those things, to confess those things, to come to you, God, for restoration and help direct us in the ways that we should go. God, I pray that this community of faith that there would be no other gods before you. God, that our loyalties would be toward you and that that would dictate how we interact with one another. May we see one another through our loyalty in you and nothing else. We are grateful, God, for the God that you are. It's in your name we pray, amen. We're gonna stand and we're gonna close with this last song. And I pray that this isn't just a song for you, but... Let this be a prayer. Let this be a moment of declaring to God your allegiance and loyalty to him. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, let, whether you're at home right now or you're here with us in the sanctuary, let this be a moment, let this be a time where this is when you're going to give your life to Jesus, when you're going to trust in him. You know, and if you have questions about that, if you're not sure what that looks like, you can come up here and talk with me up front. And I would love to talk to you about it right now while this song is going on. You don't have to wait for that. Just come right up and let's talk and pray right now. If you're at home, scan that QR code and say, need prayer, we will follow up with you. But if Jesus is laying it on your heart to begin a relationship with him, do not avoid that because that is the most important decision that you'll make. Let's worship him together.